Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. We take our little home in McKinney, Texas, and we transform it into a church on Sunday mornings, and we come and we honor the Lord here, and I preach the Word of God, and we listen to a little worship service, and we have a little communion. It's, it's so good to gather with the saints. It reminds me of what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God when we finally get there, when we finally see it. And we never know when that's going to be, right? That could be any day. That could be any moment of any day. We, could, we never know when our last moment on this earth is going to be. Amen? We could go right now or we could live, the Lord could tarry or, or, and he could get, or he could give us another 50 years. We just never know. The Bible just says, be ready. That's all we can do is be ready. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, that kind of gets you there, at least if you want to be there, Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to pray for the service and I'll give the title in a little bit. But if you guys will join me in a word of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to bless our service and bless my mouth so I can speak the oracles of God with power. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord, for this message that you've given me this week. And thank you so much for your love, Lord God. You're always so loving. Even when you're giving warnings like this week, how you're warning us of offenses. Lord, you're doing it because you love us. And so, Lord, every aspect of you is love. Your very character is love. I just pray that we would respond to that love today, that we'd listen intently to what you have to tell us today, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be blessed, Lord. And if we're, you know, wherever we're at, Lord, wherever we're at, when we find out at the end of the message, Lord, wherever we stand, Lord, I just pray that we would act, Lord, on wherever we stand. And we'd either change our direction, Lord, or, or continue stronger and stronger on the direction that we're in. Lord, may to you be all the glory and honor forever and ever and ever. And may you bless this service, bless our ears. That as we hear, Lord, we would be doers of your word. And as we, uh, as we listen, Lord God, we wouldn't just let the words that we listen to fall to the ground. Lord, we'd be doers of the word. Lord, thank you so much, Lord. And I pray that my mouth would speak your words powerfully today, Lord, and that people would be changed by the reading of your word and the teaching of your word, Lord God. Thank you so much for truth. We love you and we praise you, God. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 through 9 today. I'm not going to read them just yet, because remember I just started last week. It's called My Thoughts from Last Week. So normally that's what I'm going to be doing. Just, to, just what I call the recap. My thoughts from last week's sermon, the requirements for us to enter heaven. As I prayed about my recap, as I prayed about my thoughts from last week, I saw really in what the essence of what Jesus said in unless someone is converted and becomes as a little child, you won't enter heaven. I I saw it summarized with this one verse out of Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. For Jesus says, and I've taught on this, and it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture, for whoever desires to save his life or keep, you could say, his earthly life, will lose it in eternally. And you remember what I've talked about before, and, you know, God's shown it to me this way. And, and actually, I just as I was doing a word study this week, I actually saw even more of what I taught before as truth 
uh, forever desires to save or keep his life, meaning earthly will lose it eternally. So if you want to be the Lord of your life now, if you want to trust in yourself now, if you want to cling to yourself now, you'll lose it or lose it eternally. And that word lose there, ironically in the Greek, actually means to be destroyed. To be destroyed. So whatever life you want to keep there in 1625, which we know would be our earthly life, if we, if we want to keep that, we'll lose or our eternal life will be destroyed. But whoever loses his life, or you could say his earthly life, whoever loses or lets his earthly life be destroyed because of his faith in Christ or because he decides to put his faith in Christ, he says, for my sake, we'll find it eternally. So simple. If we want to be the Lord of our lives now, we want to trust in ourselves now, we want to cling to ourselves now, we want to hope in ourselves now in this world, then we'll lose or our earthly or our eternal lives will be destroyed. But if we want to save our eternal lives, we let our earthly lives be destroyed. We take all of our trust and all of our faith and our hope and we don't put it in ourselves or this world or man, we put it in God. And remember, Unless you are converted and become as little children. And what he was saying there was taking all your faith, complete faith, hope, trust, clinging to God. When you convert or change your mind towards God and become as a little child, you are really deciding to rest in and put your trust in him completely. You are really making a decision to cling to Christ as a newborn babe clings to their mother. And making your life focus all about Christ in God. That is losing your earthly life. You're losing control. I'm not going to have any control over my own life anymore, God. I'm giving it all to you. Your attitude, and I know this may sound extreme, but it's the truth. Your attitude toward your attitude, excuse me, toward how much you need God in Christ becomes similar to how an alcoholic needs alcohol. Or you could even say your attitude toward Christ then becomes so dependent that you become almost like a crack addict becomes toward crack cocaine. You head down the road of total dependence on God and Christ instead of total dependence on yourself. Because whoever you trust in, understand this, and cling to, whoever it is you trust in and cling to totally becomes your life. When you look at a little child, a little child of two or three or one to two to three, their parents and their family are their whole world. They don't have any life experiences out in the real world. All they have is what they know inside the house. So just as that little child becomes so dependent on his mom and dad and his family, that's how Christ said last week, unless you're converted and become his little child toward me, you could say, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to think about these questions. Just like I asked last week. Have you made Christ and God your whole world? Or is Jesus just another belief that you have like the sun and the moon and the stars? And have you really lost your earthly life? Not trusting in yourself. Not trusting in this world. Not trusting in man. Clinging to God. Have you really lost your earthly life for Christ's sake? Or are you still trusting in yourself? Are you still trusting in people? Are you still trusting in this world? 
Because if Christ and God aren't your whole world, like a little child, their parents are and their family are their whole world, then really you are the one that's still in control of your whole life and not God. And in essence, just like I said last week, or I may have missed it last week, you're not letting God save you because you're telling him, no, God, I don't want to trust in you. I got this. And in essence, you're not hoping in him and you're not clinging to him and he can't save you then. So if you haven't taken this step of total dependence on Christ and God, and please change your mind towards them today, soon, and surrender to them all your worries, all your cares, and hope in them completely and totally. Because why? I said it earlier in my prayer. The very essence of God is love. He loves you so much, and that's why he wants us to be converted and become his little child, little children, because he loves us so much. Wow. All right, on to this week's message. The title of our message this week is Jesus Warns of Offenses. Let's read Matthew 18, 6 through 9, and let's see what God has to say to us. Matthew 18, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Wow. Some very powerful words by Christ this week. What is he telling us? First, you know, as I've always spoken on before, I'm big on context. What is context? Context is what does the whole section mean? What does it mean? What, what's the, what's not, not, I don't want to cherry pick and just make my own doctrine. What does the whole section really mean? What's its focus? Well, To find our focus and our context, we go back to verse 5, 18, verse 5, where it reads, Whoever receives one of these little children like this in my name receives me. So remember that whole context of last week's verse 5 was the converted child of God. Because Jesus was teaching us how do we, you know, how you become converted. What you do, you, you become like a little child. So that last verse The context of that last verse was Jesus was speaking about God's children. So somebody that's saved, somebody that's been converted, somebody that's like a little child. Well, look at verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, he's speaking about the same thing. The context remains the same. This whole section from verses 6 to 9 is all geared towards Jesus speaking about on and to his children, God's children. This is not just for people of the world. This is not for somebody that's a, a sinner and needs to repent. This is a Jesus is speaking about offenses toward God's children. If you remember a few weeks ago in his sermon, His Character's Love, 
Jesus gave us examples, an example of how Christians are not supposed to live in offense toward those unsaved in the world because God wants to reveal himself to them so that they can get saved. Well, what do we see this week? What do we see this week? This week, we read the other side of the coin, just a few weeks later. And what do we read? We read a warning from Christ on the other side of the coin toward those who will sin against or cause his little children to be offended or cause them to sin. You see, just like how God doesn't want us or his children to offend the world because he's trying to reach out to them and show them love, the Bible said it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So if we as Christians can't love the world and can't show the world God's love, then the world will never see God living in us and therefore people will not come to repentance. That's kind of one of the problems we have here in America. Very many people, so many people claim and they call themselves Christians and yet they have no love and they're, they're, they, aren't, they don't live for God and they don't love others. So how can anybody see love, the love of God? Because we have all these people out there that are just faking it and they're, they're frauds and they, they claim the title, but then they live like the devil. So there, that was in his character's love. That's how he wants us as his children of God to live toward the world. But here he says, well, we'll be careful Be careful for, verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So now this is a warning on the world or whoever that's going to try to cause God's children to sin, to offend us or or try to make us sin. He starts off, notice in verse 6, with an across-the-board warning to anyone that causes the converted child to sin. And what's the warning? What is the warning he gives? There in verse 6, he says, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. This is for the worldly people or people, or just anybody, causing or, or causing a sin or causing an offense toward a child of God. Notice that the millstone wasn't actually the punishment. Jesus just said the punishment would be worse than a millstone hung around your neck and you were cast in the sea. This is not the actual punishment. To give us an idea of what this is, a very graphic idea, because Jesus liked to use the graphicness of you know different ideas, he uses this millstone here. Well, a millstone was used to grind wheat. And a millstone just on average was are, are anywhere or were anywhere, I don't know if they still use them today, but they were anywhere from 2,000 or around 2,000 to 12,000 pounds of weight. That is how much a millstone weighs. So think of this graphic image. Jesus says, if anyone offends one of these little ones who believe in me, it'd be better for him if a millstone were tied around his neck. So a, a anywhere from 2,000 to 12,000 pound stone. And then he was cast into the ocean. Ouch. That, that hurts. I mean, think about it. That's imminent death for sure. Who, who's going to be able to swim with a 2,000 to 12,000 pound rock tied around their neck and thrown into the ocean? And he says that their punishment of somebody that does this will be worse than that. Wow. So if that's a bad punishment, because that violent death, nobody's living through that, what could be worse than that? makes me frightful to think of what could actually be worse than a millstone tied around somebody's neck. But nevertheless, this is God we're talking about, and he can punish 
way worse than just a millstone hung around the neck and thrown into the ocean. Let me say this. According to the words of Jesus Christ here, causing a child God to sin is something that nobody wants to do. And reading this tells me another big thing. Reading what Jesus' words here says, that what they speak to me, it tells me that God is really serious about keeping His children away from sin. What did it just say? Whoever causes one of these little ones, He's warning, don't cause my children to sin. Hey, whoever you are, don't cause my children to sin or else your punishment will be worse than certain death and drowning in a horrible death. Wow, that's pretty severe. And more specifically, who exactly is he speaking to here? I, I love the words like all or, you know, some. Or, but when the Bible says all, like, you know, all who call upon me will be saved. Or, or you know, all those people. Well, here he uses the word whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. I want you to know that if you're thinking there and you're sitting there and you know you're saved and you're a Christian, you're thinking, all right, whew, he's only talking to people that are unsaved here. Oh boy, if the unsaved caused me to sin, boy, all right, that's all right. I'm all right with that. Woo, okay, I'm safe. Well, you're not safe because the word whoever, he's talking about really whoever. Well, who is whoever? Well, that would be anybody. That would be whether you're a child of God or that would be even if you're unsaved. Whoever causes a child of God to sin. I don't care if you're saved or unsaved. If, you're, if you know somebody saved and you're, you, know, you know they're a Christian and you maybe you're a Christian too. Jesus is speaking to us as Christians and saying, hey Christians, watch it. Hey unsaved, watch it. You better not make one of mine sin. I'm the child of God, or not causing another child of God to sin side. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 about this sin, of, and he just refers to food. Now, the heart here would be any kind of sin that you willfully do against another child of God that would cause them to sin. But in essence, he's referring to in chapter 8 here about the, the eating of foods sacrificed to idols. See, in Paul's day, many people, especially in the Corinthian church, were being drawn out of the pagan deity worship. They were being drawn out of pagan worship of false gods. So what was happening was, is it's somebody gets converted. Somebody gets converted to become like a little child. And then they start, you know, they're saved and they're walking with God and they're walking with God. But then, you know, they, so they're going to church, just like we do today. We go to church. But then they see, you know, times were coming up where they were seeing other Christians eating meat that they knew was sacrificed to those idols that they used to worship. So what was that making them do? They were thinking, wow, that guy, he, he's supposed to love Jesus like me. But he, how, could, how could he eat that meat after it was sacrificed to that idol? Is he honoring that old God I used to worship? Is he honoring that God that I used to bow down to? I mean, he's eating that meat that was sacrificed to them. And Paul really discussed about how if, if, you're, strong, if you're a strong Christian and maybe you didn't come out of that background, hey, meat's meat. Okay, meat is meat. It doesn't matter who it was sacrificed to because Paul says in there, there's only one God. So if you're eating meat and you know it was sacrificed to a false God, well, it wasn't a God anyway. So it was really, the meat is clean for you to eat. All foods are clean, Jesus said. There, there's, no, there's no discrepancy there. You don't have to, oh, was this, was this you know, sacrifice to Baal? Well, Baal's the devil. I don't really care about the devil. I'm just going to eat the meat. The meat's good. 
But what was happening was, is these Christians that were coming out of these pagan false religions were seeing other Christians eat this food that was sacrificed to their old idols. And it was making them kind of doubt the, their own Christian faith. It was making them kind of think, wow, well, I mean, if, if they're honoring that God, should I, should I still go and honor that God? Because, I mean, they're, wow, they're, you know, they're eating to that God. They're eating the food that was sacrificed to that God. How would we translate to that today? Because we don't have people worshiping false gods in that type of way as then. We're not really sacrificing meat back then, but you do have this. Let's say you've never had a problem with alcohol. Let's say you've never been an alcoholic. And you you can drink freely as long as we're not getting drunk. The Bible declares that we can do that. You can drink, you can have wine, or you can have a beer as long as we're not getting drunk and and stone drunk and stumbling up. And that, that those aren't good things. Bob says, don't be drunk on wine. Don't be drunk on alcohol. Okay? But yet if we have a lunch date with a fellow that we knew used to be an alcoholic, and we order a beer or a glass of wine, and they're fresh out of being an alcoholic, what do you think that's gonna make them think? Oh wow. Well, I, I used to have a problem with this, but th- this guy here, he He's drinking like crazy. Whoa, are he, he's, he's having alcohol. He, whoa, he's having a beer. And that's, that might make them be offended. That might weaken their conscience and make them think, well, I mean, if that Christian can have an, a beer or an alcoholic beverage, well, then so can I. But the only problem is, is the moment that that alcoholic has that first taste of beer again or has that first taste of wine or alcohol again, that makes him want to drink all over again and become steeped in alcohol again. And the Bible declares there's no drunkard that shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul gives a warning in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, and he tells us kind of in the same thing Jesus spoke here, but he kind of tells us why. He says, but beware, least somehow this liberty, now speaking of food, but again, we can say this upon anything that we could willfully do that would cause another Christian to sin, but beware, least somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. You could say new in the faith as well too. For if anyone sees you who have the knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? See, he's going back. It would cause him to go back to his old life, back to the sin that he was in. And he goes on in verse 11 and he says, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Now, mind you, before I read the why in depth, that word perish there, believe it or not, was the same word to lose, to lose your life for my sake, or let your life be destroyed, the definitions are this, for perish, in the context of verse verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 8, to destroy, to bring to ruin, or to devote or give over to eternal misery or hell. This would be referring to their faith or conscience, as Paul said here. And shall their conscience, who is weak, not be offended? And what happens when our conscience is are offended we think well then i can go back and I, oh well i guess this is i i just it's not worth it i'm gonna go back and then what happens when we go back paul said shall that weak brother perish shall that weak brother go to hell for whom christ died because you offended his conscience now maybe you see in verse six here why jesus said whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and for him to be cast in into up into the depths of the sea and drown. He doesn't want us to offend. 
He doesn't want a Christian to offend another Christian or an unsaved to offend another Christian because of love. Saved, a saved child of God can lose their faith if their conscience is offended. And we can go back. The Bible calls it backsliding. We can walk away from God. We can't lose our salvation like we lose a $5 bill. You know, if we're opening up our wallet and we're, we're paying for dinner and we drop a $5 bill and we lose it like, oh no, where did I drop that $5 bill? Bible says we can't lose our salvation like that. Bible says that nobody can take our salvation away from us. Like nobody can come up to us one day and say, hey man, how you doing? Oh, give me that. And then they touch your chest and all of a sudden rip the salvation out of your body. You can't do that. But like Paul just wrote, our consciences can be offended and we can be destroyed or lose our confidence or lose our faith in Christ and God and willfully walk away from Jesus Christ by our own desire and return to our old ways. And we can really return to worshiping those old false gods that we used to worship before we got saved. Like the things that I used to worship before I got saved, I used to worship money. I used to worship cars. I used to worship things. Now, I didn't have little idols like they had back in Paul's day, but I certainly had big cars. They were my idol. And lots of money in my bank account that I would go out and work my whole life for, and that was certainly my idol. Even though it wasn't a little gold or silver statue, it was something real, a real thing that I could wrap my hands around. And we can willfully walk away from God because, you know what, it's just not worth it. I just can't do it anymore. I, I, this is too much for me. I, 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 oh my gosh, it's too hard to live for God. I want those other things. You see, God does not save someone and then force them to stay with Him. The Bible really says that we're saved as long as we desire or we want to be saved. God will never save you and then force you to live for him. That's just not how it works. Look at what the Bible says about people concerning their salvation. I want you to think about the opposites of these. Hebrews 3, 6 on this subject that we're on. But Christ as a son over his own house... Now we think about that, my own house, it belongs to me. So Christ is talking about somebody that belongs to him. But Christ is his son over his own house, whose house we are. So then you see how Hebrews related a house, so we think, oh, the house is mine. And then whose house we are, okay, that means that we're the house of God. God's in us, so we're kind of like the tabernacle of God. The Bible says that when we get saved, God comes in, lives inside of us, and we become sealed, we become saved. But Christ is the son over his own house, whose house we are, we're, we're Christ, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Well, wait a minute now. Think about the opposite of that. What happens if we don't hold our confidence and our hope firm to the end? Well, very simply, if you don't, then you don't want it anymore. You're giving it away. If you lose your confidence, then you're losing it. Something caused, caused you to lose it. Like Jesus said here, it can, it, somebody can actually cause it to happen. And we can just forfeit it. Okay, Get rid of it. I just don't want it anymore. I'm done with this. Hebrews 10.35, he says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. 
So he just said, do not, therefore, do not cast away your confidence. So what happens if you do cast away your confidence? Well, by golly, if, it, if keeping your confidence has great reward, then losing your confidence or, not, or casting your confidence away, as you could say, you'll lose your great reward. And Jesus, speaking of the end times, speaking to his disciples and to us, uh, when things were going to get really rough, Jesus gives his disciples a warning. And, and we're reading it, of course, too, Matthew 24, 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. If we endure in our conscience and our faith toward God to the end, we shall be saved. We see a parallel in uh, in Hebrews 3.19 when the writer of Hebrews is speaking about the children of Israel back when God brought them out of Egypt and he he brought them out of Egypt and they're wandering 40, you know, 40 years in the wilderness and we see these people stumble and fall and God got really angry with them and then all the people who came out of Egypt weren't able to go in. They, were all, or they weren't able to go into the promised land, excuse me. All the people that came out of Egypt weren't able to go into the promised land that God was promising his children, the land of Canaan. And we see in Hebrews 3.19 the reason why. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So they came out in belief, but as they started walking around with God, they started unbelieving. And then because of their unbelief, they weren't able to enter into the promised land, which we know biblically that's a parallel. The land of Canaan over the river Jordan was like entering heaven. Neither can we enter heaven if we lose faith or if we just stop believing. So, if a Christian causes another Christian to sin, they could cause him to fall away from God, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So, Christians, please be warned. If you fear Jesus Christ, be careful not to offend the conscience and the confidence of another Christian and cause them to sin. We as Christians need to watch how we walk with other Christians that we're not willfully or even accidentally wanting to walk in offense toward another brother or another sister. Don't cause another Christian to sin unless... You want the punishment that Jesus spoke about here. You know, it'd be better if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were cast into the ocean and was at imminent death. And he said that your punishment would be worse than that unless you want that uh, punishment that Jesus alludes to here. And you want another brother or sister to not continue walking with the Lord. If you don't necessarily care about them, you know what? Forget it. Good. That's all right. I don't care if they go to hell because, yes, that can happen. We can offend another, and that offense could cause them to walk away from God. As people of the world are concerned, or you'd say those that are unsaved, not children of God, Jesus addresses them specifically in verse 7 here. Let's read it. He says, Woe to the world because of offenses. Now the world meaning people of the world. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come. In case you're wondering here, somebody unsaved, somebody not walking with God. Jesus uses a specific verbiage here. He says, woe to the world because of offenses. The definition of this word offenses is this, an impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble or fall, or 
any person or thing by which one is entrapped, drawn into error or sin. So we see here that people of the world, what Jesus said here, if you cause, if you cause an offense to come toward my little one, he's talking about someone that's trying to make a child of God sin, almost laying a trap. For a child of God to come and to come back into sin. It reminds me of Balaam when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and this king calls them and he says, Hey, I want to know how do I, you know, how do I stop these children of God? And Balaam goes on to really give this king the idea of how to make them stop because he king wanted him to curse the children of Israel, but he wouldn't curse them. He said, But I won't curse them. But behind the scenes, he tells him how to get him to stumble and fall. And how, what, how did he get him to stumble and fall? He told the king, well, just send beautiful women out. And as you send these beautiful women out, the people there, the children of Israel, they'll fall into that sin. He was purposely laying a snare for those children of Israel. And so many thousands of people died during that day. It was just sickening. Why? Because Balaam taught this king how to lay a stumbling block before the children of Israel so that they would sin. So Jesus said here that trying to lay a trap or a snare, trying to cause a child of God to sin on purpose is a big no-no. He says here that offenses will come, meaning that there will be plenty of times of temptation to come. And we all know that in the world. If you're a child of God, if you're saved and you're really trying to live for God, you already know when you walk out into the world, you already know how many opportunities there are to sin. Oh my goodness. The numbers are unlimitless. They're just amazing. There's sin everywhere in the world. There's temptations and lusts of the flesh everywhere. And they're going to come. We, we have already a hard enough time trying to walk with God because of all the temptations in the world, in fact. But he says, woe to the unsaved person by whom purposely tries to make one of my children sin. What does he say to them? He says, woe to you. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the other side of the woe of Jesus Christ, especially since the Bible says he has the power to cast one into hell fire. And I can imagine that this would most likely be the sin, be the punishment for somebody that purposely tries to make a child of God sin. Their almost certain death will be hell in the end because we already know, just like I just talked about in 1 Corinthians 8, we can we can fall away if our consciences are offended. So if you are not a child of God and you're listening to this message, it's not a real good idea to make a child of God sin. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, speaking of God's children, Paul writes, Beloved, do not, do not avenge yourselves, speaking the children of God, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And I can guarantee you this one thing. God can repay Lots more vengeance on any man, woman, or child, or even on anything for that matter than a man or a woman or a human being can, because he is unlimitedly, un, un, just powerful, amazingly powerful, way more than we are. All right, moving on, verses 8 and 9, where we see Jesus. What does he do? He switches gears. I'm going to read them over again. In verses 6 through 7, Jesus was given Christians and, uh, and unsaved a warning. Hey, watch out. Don't cause a child of God to sin. Because why? We can, if we're not careful, conscience gets offended, 
We're tired of walking with God while there's sin and it's a lure. We can slip back in rural ways. Oh, well, I was walking with God. I, you know, I, I want my new way now. Why? Well, this is much better. Uh, forget you. And then we can walk away and we can choose our old lives and we can walk back into perdition. But now in verse 8 and 9, Jesus switches gears and strictly starts teaching God's children. Remember, I want to remind us all again, this section, this whole section, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, this whole section is regarding Christians. It's regarding those who have made a choice to choose God on his calling, and then they picked up the mantle and they said, God, I need you, I love you, I, I want to get saved, here they are, there they go. This whole section is on them. Well, he starts teaching God's children on the topic of how we need to stay away from sin and how we should look at committing it. Please notice as I read this section how serious Jesus Christ gets here about children of God staying away from sin. Verses 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin... Cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. Woo! And if your eye, Christian, causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Notice what Jesus just says to the children of God, to us, what could happen if we allow our hands and feet and eyes to cause us to sin. Notice what the punishment was there. Now, this is not somebody offending us and causing us to sin. This is just, hey, I'm just going to go out and do that. If our hands and feet and eyes cause us to sin, Jesus said the penalty would be hellfire and everlasting fire. Notice, even Jesus said here, be careful, Christian, how you walk. Now, I used to think that the words that Jesus spoke here, the very graphic words that Jesus spoke here, weren't literal. Like, did Jesus really mean if my eyes caused me to sin that I could pluck them out? And, and man, if my hands really caused me to sin, do I really chop them off and my feet too? Should I really do that? I used to think, oh, he was speaking metaphorically. But you know, the longer I've known God, almost over 14 years now, the longer I've known God, I've actually seen that Jesus is actually more strict than we really take him for in here. We kind of want to explain, oh, when Jesus didn't want to chop off our hands or chop off our feet. Actually, he wants us to chop off a lot more than that if, that's what it takes to get rid of the sin in our lives that we're committing. In fact, the times that God has spoken to me concerning the sin that I've committed since I've been His, He's shown me that He's even stricter on me committing sin than He even speaks on here. You could be saying, what? What, Pastor? Are you serious? How can we get even more serious about sin than chopping off hands and chopping off feet and plucking out eyes? Well, I'll tell you. In my life, since I've known Christ, I've battled many sins, trying to stay pure before God. One time, at one point in my life, I had a terrible video game addiction. And God would speak to me about it. And I, I would say, all right, Lord, I'm not going to play today. And then I'd go ahead and play. 
promise the Lord, okay, Lord, I know I've got a problem with this. I'm not going to play today. While I'm playing my video games, while I would be playing my video games, God's speaking to me saying, aren't you on there too long? Boy, haven't you been on there too long? But, you know, you're really spending a lot of your time in front of these video games. Ed, it's not a good idea. Ed, you really love these things. You need to step back a little bit. And me, oh, Lord, I got this. Oh, oh, Lord, I got this. Lord, you know, I got it. And then as I kept going on more and more and more and more and more, what ended up happening was I would even start, I was lying to my family at one point. My sin and my addiction to video games was causing me to lie to my family. I would put my kids to bed and give them a kiss goodnight. All right, babies, I love you. Good night. Daddy, are you, are you going to go to bed too? Yes, honey, I'm going to bed. I'd go in there and put them to bed and lay them down and shut their light and shut their door. And I'd run right back out to my addiction. And I'd run right back to that video game. And I'd be up till 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was again, playing them at night. The whole time I'm playing, I'm missing out on my Bible time. I used to have my Bible time at night. And I said, oh, well, I'll just have my Bible time. You know, I have my Bible time at night. And then as I'm playing my games, God would say, hey, Ed, what about me? What about my what about my time? What about you listening to me? And I, oh Lord, I, okay, well here's what I'll do. I'll I'll, I'll play and I'll listen to your word because you know we live in a modern age where we can listen to the Bible, right? So here I am trying to compromise, play the video games while I'm listening to God's word, and that didn't really work too much because I was so focused on the game, I wasn't paying attention to God's word, and hence I wasn't getting fed at all. I was really because of my sin, I was pushing God out of my life. And I was drawing the sin closer to me until I got to one point where God speaks to me one day and says to me, Ed, and I, and I heard these words in my soul and my spirit, it's either the video games or me. It broke me. I was broken in my heart. I was broken in my spirit. And what did I have to do? I had to make a choice that day. The video games or God. So what did I do? I cut it off as jesus said here about your hands or your feet or your eyes i had to cut the video games completely out of my life or else i would have cut god out of my life i used to have a sister in the lord that was really sucked into and consumed with watching political things on tv Every time there was a debate, every time there was a poll, every time there was something political on TV or even a debate about who should win this and who should win that and what president is better than this and what, what congressman is better about that, she would sit in front of TV and get vehemently angry because though they were lie and they would lie and they would say these things and she would get so angry and God spoke to her one day and, he, and she said, Sister, my, my daughter, they got to go. You can't watch them anymore because they're getting in my way with you, me and yours way. So they got to go. So what did she have to do? She had to cut it off or else she would have been pushing God out of the way. My own wife years ago had this consuming addiction and problem with what they call couponing. We were struggling financially some years ago and so we would get the papers all the time and we would get these Sunday papers and we'd get these papers and in these papers were all these coupons and the certain places you could go to, you get double and triple the points and get cash back and get these points back and so on and so forth. And there she was for a long time. All she was focused on in her life every day was getting these coupons and these papers and finding this saving her money. Now, you know, and that's a kind of a tough one. 
Because she's trying to save her family money. She's trying to keep her family's head above water. And she's trying to do a good thing. But in essence, what she was doing was, if she wasn't resting and trusting in God for the provision, she was trying to make the provision and trust in herself for that provision. So there came a day, the faithful day, where God's speaking to her. My daughter, they've got to go. Because you're couponing, you're not even spending time with me anymore. She would coupon her whole day away and not even read God's word. Not even spend any time with God in prayer. Because she was so consumed with this trying to save money for her family. And God spoke to her and said, what? Cut it off. Get rid of it. It's got to go because if you don't let that go, if you don't cut that hand off, if you don't cut that foot off, if you don't pluck out that eye, you'll go away from me. So what she have to do? She loves God. She said, God, I forget it. I don't need it no more. I'm letting it go. And she let it and she cut off the couponing and she reattached herself to God. So you see, and you may have your own things that God spoke to you along the years. Hey, my son, my daughter, I want you to get rid of this. I want you to get rid of that. It's got to go. We got to cut it off or else if you don't cut it off, you're going to cut me out of your life completely. So summing up what Christ says to us here in verses 8 and 9, let's just say that God is serious about his children cutting sin out of their lives any way that they can, any way that we can, and does not want us to be consumed in sin or caught up in sin in any way. Why would Jesus Christ be so radical about his children staying away from sin? Well, very easy. The Bible says sin separates mankind from God. And yes, sin, habitual sin, practice sin can even separate a saved child of God from God. Jesus tells us plainly in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or, or else... He will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The whole context there is we cannot serve and trust in and follow and cling to God. And we cannot serve and trust in and cling to the things of the world. Because if we try to cling to both, Jesus just said, one of them will win. If you, let, if you serve Christ and you're a slave to Christ, he will be your master. But if you're a slave to sin, any sin, whatever it may be, whatever you're consumed with doing, a blasphemous mouth, of you know, a, a verbally abusive mouth, TV, video games, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is you're consumed with and you have to have, that is a God in your life, Jesus just said. The Bible even talks about how even a saved person can turn away from God and unto hell, Hebrews 10, 26-29. He says, for if we, speaking about children of God, the saved, the redeemed, sin willfully. And that word willfully means to treasure. Got to have it. I can't live without it. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, listen to what he says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be 
will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insult the Spirit of grace? As a Christian, we can get caught up in sin. We can get consumed in sin. And we can lose our desire to be with God, to trust in God, to love Jesus Christ and obey Him. If any sin becomes treasured or willful, practiced by any Christian, then they can cut themselves off from God because sin is awful nice to the flesh. And living spiritually is a very difficult thing to do. We live in a very physical world. David says in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquities, iniquity is sin, if I regard it, if I hold it, if I treasure it in my heart, he says, the Lord will not hear me. So if we live in willful, treasured sin, oh, i got to have it, and just, oh, you know, well, then the Bible says that God doesn't hear our prayers. So please, Christians, stay away from a life of practicing sin. You see, Christians or anybody that's thinking about being a Christian, Christ puts you first on the cross. See, when Jesus died for you on the cross, he was thinking of you and you first of all. He loves you more than anything else. But what he expects, he expects us to put him first in our lives, especially when it comes to sin. You see, the Bible says God hates sin. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 1 Peter 1, 16, Peter's talking to the New Covenant Christians, not the Old Testament people, but he brings up something God said in the Old Testament, and he, and he calls it to his children now, to God's children now. And God's command to his children back in the Old Testament was applied to God's new children in the New Covenant in 1 Peter 1, 16, for God says, Be holy, for I am am holy. And since God hates sin, he expects those that come to him and want to be converted and changed and changed to stop being caught up in sin. <laughs> Paul talks about it, 2 Timothy 2:9. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows that are his and listen to what he says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart from sin. The Bible says that calls the repentance away from sin a foundational thing. Hebrews 6.1, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Elementary is the basic level of education that you can get. Elementary, very the basic that you can get. Considering the basic elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Listen to what he says that are elementary principles. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, repentance away from sin toward God, and faith towards God. So even repenting of your sin and turning your heart to God is an elementary principle of Christ. It's not big theologically minded, oh wow, we got to look for all these, oh we got to go to seminary for 20 years to figure this one out. It's a basic principle that God expects from those who want to be converted. Those who want to be converted become as little children. Little children are innocent. Even though they still sin, they're innocent. They're not willfully out there trying to do stuff in people's faces. Now I want to make a big note here because 
This has been a very difficult sermon. It's been a very difficult sermon for me to set up. I want to give us some consolation here. Every person, man, woman, or child, whether saved or unsaved, will save, will sin, excuse me, until the day we die. We will commit sin. So you might be saying, Pastor, what, what are you saying? You just said if we commit sin, we're going to hell, but if we don't, but, but we're going to sin for the rest of our lives. So what's the deal? So are we all just doomed to hell forever? There's just no hope? What, what are you trying to say here? Well, I've been speaking on this for years. You see, in God's heart, in God's eyes, in God's mind, he looks at, are we sinning willfully? What's our heart condition towards sin? Are we sinning willfully or Are we trying to practice a righteous lifestyle and then in the midst of us trying to practice a righteous lifestyle, we just, it happens. We just, as we're walking along, we're praising God and we're loving God and a a beautiful person walks by and we look and we lust. Right away, boom, it just happens. Well, that's a little different, God says. God says that if you're willfully going out there and you're treasuring it, that means you're waking up in the morning and you're going and you're looking for it. You're waking up, you know, that's the way I'm going to live, and I'm just, you know, I'm a sinner, and well, God loves me, and so that's just it, and so that's it, you know, praise God. Or, I know God hates sin. I'm going to stay away from sin today. Oh, Lord, I love you, and I, and I, and I'm keeping my, I want to keep myself pure, because I know you hate sin. I, I know you do. Oh, Lord, I love you. Boom, and then it happens. God looks at that sin a little, different th- little differently than the one that's willful, than the one that you purposely go out to do? Are you practicing sin? Are you treasuring it? Do you make it a lifestyle because Christ paid for your sins? This one is the ones that I just talked about in Hebrews 10 26 and I'm going to look at in 1 John in a moment. Or are we trying to live a righteous lifestyle and stay away from sin because you know that God hates sin and then you stumble spiritually and blow it not intending or practicing sin. Look at what 1 John says in 5 through 7. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. John says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him. Now this is somebody that says, I'm a Christian. Bless God, I love him. He saved me. I'm a Christian. And he says, and walk in darkness. And this would be a walking or practicing a sinful lifestyle. He says, we lie and do not practice the truth. He says, but if we walk in the light as he in the light, you could say practicing the truth or practicing righteousness. He says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. And how do we access this forgiveness of our sins? Well, that's why Christ came and died on the cross after all. First John 1, 9. If we're, walking, if we're walking in sin, Hebrews 10, 26, 1 John says, we're lying, we're not practicing the truth, we're in, we're in error, we're not walking with God, we're not being saved. But if we're trying, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, cause, and cleanse excuse me, from all unrighteousness. Our sin, as I said earlier, is why Jesus Christ even came to the earth in the first place. God saw that we were separated from him by our sin. So he sends his only begotten son into the world to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have reconciliation with God. Praise be to God. 
But nowhere in the Bible does God say, I give you a license to sin because I love you. I just go ahead. (laughs) Anything you want, just do it. And hey, live it up. You know, I don't even care if you sin. No, you won't find that in the word at all. You won't find that in the Bible at all. You'll find that God is really serious about offenses. You'll find that God is really serious about us staying away from the things which he hates the most, which is sinful things. According to the scripture today that we read, he doesn't play around. He doesn't play around when it comes to sin. He doesn't play around when it comes to us offending another Christian and causing them to sin. He doesn't play around with an unsaved person purposely trying to make a Christian sin. And he doesn't play around when we just, hey, I just love, hey, I, I love God, but I can live any way I want. My hand, feet, I, I don't care. They just cause me to sin. I'll just ask for forgiveness. God, God loves me. Hey, praise be to God. He doesn't play around. And Jesus said the penalty for that type of lifestyle, Matthew 18, 8 and 9, you can argue with him, not with me. I'm not teaching a doctrine. I'm teaching the Bible. If you let them cause you to sin and you're doing it willfully is what we can, by the rest of the scripture we read, that your end will be hell, fire, and everlasting fire. We learn in verses 6 and 7 that whether child of God or unsaved cause a child of God to sin, their punishment would be worse than that millstone. Wow, I don't want that. That punishment would be horrible. And in verses 8 and 9, we even learn that if a Christian practices sin, we can cut ourselves off from God completely. We can forfeit our salvation and come into judgment, and God will judge us and we'll end up in hellfire. God is really serious about offenses. God is really serious about sin in our lives. In closing, in all the light of these things we examine in today's scripture, all I have for us today is some exhortation. Simply some exhortation to Christians. Christians, I want you please examine your life in the light of the scripture that we just read today. How do you look at sin in the world? How do you regard sin in your life? How do you live your life with these words now that Jesus spoke about sin? Do you love God and you live for Him, keeping yourself from the lusts of this world and sinful passions? And do you practice and you try to practice and you go all out with all your heart to practice righteousness, truly obeying God in your life, truly looking at what He said to do, how He said to live, and living those ways? If that's you, then soldier, press forward. Keep going. Keep serving God. Keep trusting in God. Keep abstaining your life from sin in this world of lusts of the flesh and all the lusts and the passions that it has in it. And keep going and keep living for God and keep serving Him and keep trusting Him and keep going until you're done with this life. And then and only then will be truly safe and you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord for you've been faithful with the little. Now come in. I'll make you ruler over much. Praise be to God. If, what did Jesus say? If we endure to the end in our saving faith, in our saving confidence. Or, do you cherish sin? Do you brush it off and just say, well, you know, because Jesus paid for my sin on the cross, well, 
I can sin because he loves me anyway. Well, I'll just ask him when I sin and he'll just forgive me of my sin. I used to have a friend that said, uh, you know, the way he used to live was, ah, 1 John 1, 9 it. Anytime he'd sin, no matter what he'd do, ah, just 1 John 1, 9 it. Yeah, God loves me. I live any way I want. Well, maybe you've never heard that you can forfeit your salvation and you can walk away from God by continuing and practicing sins, as Hebrews 10, 26 and 1 John said. But after today now, you cannot say that any longer. You know that for sure that you cannot do that. You just heard the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 18. If this is how you consider sin in your life and you see that your life is full of sin and you walk in it and you practice it daily and you live in it and you don't even care, oh, well, God just forgives me and he loves me, so that's what I'm going to keep doing, then please listen to the words of Christ in verses 8 and 9 one more time. Christian, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter life lame or maimed rather than to having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, Christian, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell. If you have sin in your life and you know and God's been talking to you about it and you just continue to willfully live in it, oh, God, just forgive me. You better pluck it out. You better cut it off. You better get rid of it or else... What Jesus said here will apply to you. God is telling you right now, get rid of it. Let it die. Cut it off. And he's pleading through me to you guys out there. And he's saying, please, my child, stop. Repent. Turn away from your sin and sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart to me. Trust in me. I'm holy. I want you to be holy. Abstain from the things of the world. Don't get caught up in sin. And just think, as I said earlier, don't think, don't take this and go, oh my gosh, wow, pastor, you're crazy. Jesus, he expects too much out of me. Well, just think of it like this. Jesus only gave these warnings the way he did here because he loves us. He didn't tell us this so that people would go to hell. He told us this so that we could hear what we're supposed to do and we're supposed to obey him. He's the greatest teacher that's ever walked the face of the planet and we're supposed to obey him and we're supposed to listen and he's given us the way out. If you love me, he says, live for me. Remember, his very essence is love. He desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. But we have to ask ourselves, Are we going to continue in Christ, working at following Him, working at obeying Him, working at holiness every day in our lives, putting to death the lusts of the flesh that work in our members every day? Or are we just going to say, well, because God loves me, I'm just okay, and well, you know, He'll just forgive me. Because you just heard the raw truth of today. Turn away from sin and live, God says today. Wherever you're at, turn to God away from the way you're living, from the things that you're doing, from the nastiness of the sin that's in your life, and turn to Christ and repent in repentance and seek His face and turn to Him again and follow Him. And don't let yourself get caught up in the evils, in the sinfulness of this world. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. And Lord, although you gave us these warnings and although you gave us the harsh realities that you gave us here today, that if we live in this type of willful, sinful lifestyle and we let our hands and feet and eyes cause us to sin and we just have a, a, a pish-posh attitude towards sin, Lord God, then we will end up in hell one day. But Lord, your very heart, thank you so much, is to warn us, hey guys, this is wrong. Don't do this. Don't go down this path, please. I want you to be saved. I love you. I want you to have everlasting life with me. I want you to have eternity with me. I don't want you to go to hell. Lord, thank you. The fact that you just warned us means that you love us. You could just let us live how any way we want, Lord, and then in the end, we'll just wake up and that's it. We'll just be doomed to hell forever. But instead, Lord, you give us this warning because you love us. I just pray right now, Lord God, that whoever's listening, whatever areas of their lives that you've convicted them of their sin in their lives, Lord God, that they have, I pray, Lord, right now that they would turn to you with all their hearts, repent of what, how they've been living, and just seek your face and just surrender to you and turn back once again from, and, and follow you and not follow the flesh and not follow the lusts of the passions of the flesh. Get them, Lord God, and show them your love, Lord. I pray your goodness would lead the people that are listening to repentance. I pray your goodness would lead people unto repentance. Thank you so much for your word, Lord God. Save people, Lord God, please, by the preaching of this message. And I ask these things, all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.